You are listening to the Horizons Church Podcast. Greetings, and as my brother would say, solutions. Wow, what kind of solutions? Heck if I know. Interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, he's a character, Mm. my brother. Solvents and solutions. Yes, solvents and solutions. Welcome to science class. The year is 2006. (laughs) You are in your middle school science classroom. Beakers abound. (laughs) They're colored with with food coloring. (laughs) Here's the blue solvent. You see the periodic table. In massive scale on the wall. Yeah. (laughs) There was a brief moment, and when I was in high school, I had a high school chemistry class, where we actually had a little bit of fun dabbling with Bunsen burners and stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like the cartoon idea of chemistry. We got to have that for a brief moment. (laughs) It was nice. It was a nice day. Oh, yeah. We definitely did that in my chemistry classes in high school. This is going to sound more chaotic than it was, I assure you. (laughs) There was one particular thing where we would... um, I guess, like, put liquid of a particular variety, perhaps a solvent, perhaps a solution, <laughs> <laughs> on, um, like, on a cotton ball or something. Mm-hmm. And that was held by a clip, I would presume, or we were holding it or something like that. Surely not us. That's dangerous. It was held <laughs> by a clip over the Bunsen burner or something like that. And it would set a light, but based on the, the liquid and whatever that would be, it would, like, change the color of the flame. Oh, yes. Don't know what that lesson was about, but it was neat. <laughs> I liked that moment. <laughs> oh, yeah. Chemistry was mm. by far and away the hardest class I took in high school. We had I still remember to this very day. different chemistries. I, I remember this, <laughs> this, this dichotomy of yeah. our chemistries. That was, yeah, Mrs. Uh, Stout taught that class, and it was a phenomenal teacher. She was and still is, but you were getting your taxpayer dollars worth yeah. out of that class. We were not. <laughs> holy moly. It was the only class I ever got to be in in high school. Whoa. Only one. Wow. Yeah. So, mm. you know, thanks, Mrs. Stout. <laughs> <laughs> Rough business. Rough business. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I've not dabbled since, you know. Think how my life could have changed <laughs> if I had your chemistry class instead of mine. <laughs> what would I be? It's interesting because science, which I feel like is such a vague thing. <laughs> like, what is science? I like the study of the natural world. Yeah. is highly interesting to me. The last book I read, you could probably call strictly scientific based on like, oh, it's, you know, it's scientific method and discussing all this and blah, 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 blah. I read a book on chaos theory. Well, hello. Highly interesting. Highly interesting. But it's just like, man, I just... I don't have the energy or time, really, or drive. That's the real thing. I just don't have the drive to want to actually be an expert in, you know. I watched a show on Chaos Theory. It's called WandaVision. <laughs> that's, a, that's a joke. Um, Jurassic Park. <laughs> no, the funny thing is, like, there's a, a part of me that's like, and I know this is not true, so just just bear with me. I uh, would love to have been an archaeologist in some way. Oh, really? But I know in real life, not in the real world. Yeah, you're not. Not really. This is an Indiana Jones yes. or Jurassic Park. Right? Yeah, this is a. I want to be a cartoon archaeologist. What I don't, <laughs> what I don't want to do is like go years and years and years and like the whole the whole individual year is built around this particular expedition where maybe we have good people in a particular location to resource us and make the cr- proper connections and then we dig and dig and dig and find nothing and go home. <laughs> That's what it's like. Yeah. You only get to you only get to be on the on the History Channel or the probably not the History Channel, National Geographic when you do something kind of cool. Yeah. And that's not most people. It's mostly no. I think probably disappointing for people. <laughs> At least people who want to do that fun stuff. So, you know, I want to do the brushing and the and, yes. the, and use the little 
the Mac and yep. get through that. But uh, I think really I just need to do a workshop. <laughs> get that out of my system. <laughs> Go do the thing they do for like kids, at, like, <laughs> you know, an amusement park or whatever. Yes. Like all these little children that Ethan's there like, hello, fellow archaeologists. <laughs> I got my little helmet on and khaki, got khaki shorts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not here to play around. <laughs> You're like absolutely abolishing, like little, t- like punching them in the face. Like, hey, that's my fossil. That buttery is delicate. What are you doing? <laughs> Silly child. <laughs> There's no respect. <laughs> Sir, this is a Wendy's. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, anyway, to the matter at hand. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, other fun things include the fact that it's actually, it's not necessarily fun. Um, it's true. The fact that, you know, sometimes evangelical Christians can get quite, quite persnickety about traditions. Oh, I, I have no doubt of that. <laughs> traditions! Traditions! It's a good door on the roof there. Yeah, yeah. So, um, what I mean by that specifically is that sometimes we try to pit faith against traditions or uh, something like that, okay. you know. And the result is that we'll look at churches that have quote unquote traditions and think that they're somehow lesser than churches than those who don't have oh, traditions. Okay. You know okay. what I mean? Um, I'm like, starting to see. Yeah, like if, for example, a church follows the church calendar and has set scripture readings for certain days of the year. Might look at that and say that's dead tradition. We don't do that. We just read whatever we want when we want, and we do that every week without fail. And that's right. not a tradition. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, like the assumption is that oh, they must be following like some rote list of requirements, like just routine traditions for the sake of maintaining them. Yes, yes, that sort of a thing. Interesting analysis. Yes, yes. yes which I want to be fair, that could be the case. Of course, naturally. Yeah. In which case, okay. Not sure. great. No one's perfect. Yeah. Surely someone's doing that. Of course. And at first blush then, granting that reality, this whole pitting faith against tradition, so to speak, may seem well intended, and perhaps even backed by scripture, no less. Oh, really? Yes, yes. For example, in Matthew 15, 6, you've got Jesus himself saying that there are some who, for the sake of their traditions, make void the word of God, right? So, I mean, that's pretty... That's a pretty yeah. tough thing to get around, I you know. I really want to avoid specifically making void the word of God. Yes. <laughs> pretty high on the list of things I don't I do not do. want to be told that I've made void <laughs> the very word of God. Yeah. Now, yeah, we definitely don't want to do that. But notice that Jesus is not laying down a blanket condemnation of all traditions here. Rather, he's condemning traditions that people hold to instead of the word of God. Hmm. That is specifically what he's going after here. So, does that mean, then, that there are good traditions that mesh with Scripture and faith? And the answer, even according to Scripture itself, (laughs) is yes. Yeah, I feel like there are plenty of even instructed things that are good to hold, good to incorporate. Unless you use them improperly, I'm sure everyone has the potential to do that. But but yeah, surely there are things. Yes, exactly, exactly. So, I think it would be helpful to us to distinguish between what we might call dead traditions and faithful traditions, which is what we're here to try and help you do. Here for the comprehensive listeners. That's right. <laughs> That's how we do it, the Horizons Church podcast. Ba-ring, ba-ring, ba-ring. <laughs> that was my attempt to oh, do yeah. the... I know. <laughs> I, re- I recognized it because it was so perfect. Pitch perfect. <laughs> 
Uh, um. So anyway, the first question we might be asking is, where do we find scripture talking about tradition in a good way? Because that may be a completely foreign thought to yeah, us, you know? That would really change this It's like, whoa, what in the world? Oi, crikey, mate. I don't know why. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why suddenly it's like the crocodile hunter is out here. It's a, the tradition hunter. Oi, mate. Okay, here. We got ourselves a good old-fashioned dead tradition. Look at this blimey bugger. Next year at VBS. <laughs> Just coming out looking like Steve Irwin. Rest in peace. Oh. Anyway. So in 2 Thessalonians 2.15, the Apostle Paul says, So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. So there's the Apostle Paul himself saying, Hey, we gave you traditions. We handed these down to you. And... Guess what? You need to hold to them. You need to stand firm and keep on keeping on. So then, what are these traditions that Paul passed on? Mm. Now that, that is the real kicker right there. And this is where things get a little trickier because I've been talking about the poor Roman Catholics a lot. <laughs> I really don't have a vendetta against Roman Catholicism. I like a lot of Roman Catholics, okay? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. However... <laughs> Roman Catholics in particular interpret this verse in such a way as to think Paul is here identifying two different sources of Christian authority. Mm. Sacred scripture, which would be in the letters. He says, we pass these down to you either by our letter. So you have sacred scripture in the letters and sacred tradition in the spoken word is how they parse that. So I feel like, and I'm definitely speaking in ignorance. I should highlight. <laughs> I have no background, but I'm really not getting any iota of that interpretation. <laughs> I'm not seeing. I'm not seeing it. Yeah, that's, I don't you have, are. I don't have my Roman Catholic glasses on, <laughs> but I'm just not seeing it. Behold, Pope vision. <laughs> with, your, with your rosary tinged glasses. You get ah, it because rose tinted. I, yeah, I can't so be mad was... at that one. <laughs> I, too, am a dad. I can make dad jokes. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, no, you're exactly right. To be more specific, the Catholic Church believes that there's a body of tradition that was verbally passed down by Christ to the apostles, and then the apostles passed that down subsequently to the churches, and that verbal tradition is in some sense, well, surpasses even the Bible in a certain sense, and is preserved in the Roman liturgy. Mm, that is convenient. <laughs> yeah. I mean, would you not? I just feel like maybe you would want to be able to test the veracity of that. I'm not, I'm not personally super in love with the, nah, they said so. They said it. I heard them. Yeah. It's not my, it's, it's just not my favorite argument. Yeah. Like, well, how do you, you know, yeah. How do you verify that? Like, well, 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 you know, it's just, it was just, it's been passed down. My best friend also heard it. Yeah. That's and like, he agrees with me. Oh, okay. Here we go. Thank goodness. Delightful. So, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then you've got, of course, sacred tradition and sacred scripture then being authoritatively interpreted by the teaching office of the Catholic Church. Mm. So there are some exegetical issues with their interpretation of this verse. Sure. And uh, this will help us, I think, actually see what kind of traditions Paul is talking about here. So that was not just a tangent. That actually is related to the discussion. So first, the context of this verse must be noted because that's what you should always do. Am I right? Mm. Why, why do I feel like this is seriously going to call this all into a question? Yes, yes. As it is wont to do. So in 2 Thessalonians, Paul spends the majority of the first two chapters dealing with eschatological issues. So he's dealing with like last things, end of time mm -hmm. sorts of things. Right. And in particular, he highlights one, the judgment at Christ's coming, and two, the revealing and subsequent destruction of a figure called the man of lawlessness. 
very mysterious figure. <laughs> and uh, Paul writes on these subjects specifically because the Thessalonian church was being led astray in these areas by false teachers. Actually, Paul even tells the Thessalonians to not be alarmed by, quote, a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. It's so, like someone's like writing letters and there was like, oh, this one Paul, like, eh, not so much. What a drama. Yeah, really. That's a neat little, that's very cool. It is, it I is. I mean, it's concerning and yeah, all that, yeah, but, but like, from this perspective, how neat. Yeah, how about it? So most pertinent to our discussion, however, is Paul's admonition in 2 Thessalonians 2, 5, where he says, do you not remember that when I was still with you physically, I told you these things. <laughs> it's a strong rally. Yeah, like... It's, you, <laughs> It's like, I didn't say this for my health. Yeah, like, come on here, people. So what this verse implies is that Paul had already verbally shared the content of this letter during a previous visit to the Thessalonian church. Yeah. So in other words, what this means is that he is writing to them about things that they have already heard, and that means, taken in context, 2 Thessalonians 2.15 is not referring to two separate bodies of teaching that were shared in different forms, but rather he's referring to the same body of teaching shared in different forms. He's just he's reiterating. Like, yeah, he's like, I shared this with you by spoken word, and now I'm sharing it by letter, yeah. right? It's the same stuff. So it's not like you have, oh, sacred tradition is a different thing than sacred scripture written in the letters. So that means that the word and letter have equal authority only insofar as they speak to the same issue with a unity of apostolic voice. Mm -hmm. So here then the spoken word that Paul had earlier shared with the Thessalonians, the same teaching he's now sharing by written letter. So no unique sacred tradition as the Catholic Church holds to it, okay? And that's exegetically backed up yeah. by what we just covered. So is it this perceived sandbox of undefined space that, that people are like, oh, we can just kind of slot in some preferred traditions under this umbrella and call it good. Because uh, what would you even fill that category with if you were to take it to mean something not otherwise defined in scripture? Yeah. And what's interesting about that is, and I want to be careful about what I'm about to say because I'm not, I'm not like a subject matter expert on these things, but you do get these, they're just very weird things that come up. So like, if you take, for example, the Marian dogmas, so the, the Catholic Church is teaching specifically about the Virgin Mary. Yeah. They have four dogmas. And the first two, I don't have a problem with. The first dogma is you have to believe that Mary is the God-bearer. So like, what that means is basically like, oh, by virtue of the fact she gave birth to Christ, the God-man, you can say she's the mother of God in a sense. It's like, okay. Fine with that. Mm -hmm. The second is her perpetual virginity. So I don't agree with that. I would have a question. Yeah, but I'm not like, if you think that she was a perpetual virgin, I'm not going to argue with you about that because I don't care enough. So, that yeah. just, it doesn't have enough of an effect on exactly. your theology or whatever to matter to me. But three and four, three and four do. Because the third Marian dogma is the immaculate conception of Mary. Oh, uh, that okay? seems a little Yeah, because... Extra. And the funny thing about that is when we use the term immaculate conception, I think we tend to think, oh, that's referring to Jesus, the fact that he was sinlessly conceived. Actually, no. Mm. Technically, yeah. the term immaculate conception refers to the fact that Mary was sinlessly conceived, yeah. which for me creates all kinds of weird issues. Like, well, if she could be sinlessly conceived and you do all these things, why couldn't you just keep going back the chain? It's just unnecessary. Like, it's yeah. Just, I don't know why. Why create this hoop to jump through? Yes. And then you've got the fourth one, which is the bodily assumption of Mary into heaven. That, like, she was taken up. Oh, why bodily that as well? That one's also a strange line in the sand for me. Yeah, so when they have these traditions, those are the kinds of things that, well, for one, that fourth Marian dogma, don't think I found any evidence or reference to it 
earlier than the fifth or sixth century. <laughs> so like you just get all this weirdness. My point is, is that like when you start doing that to your question, you do start getting this weirdness. Yeah. These accretions. I mean, you get like indulgences, all these different things that I'm going to speak very cynically for a moment. And I don't want to voice this on the Catholic Church today because they would acknowledge a lot of what I'm about to say. Okay. But in like the medieval era, at the height of Rome's power and their abuses of it, mm-hmm. indulgences were part of sacred tradition, right? And those were used, like, in very controlling ways. Right. To say, like, oh, we want to build this building. Oh, well, uh, you can, you know, get 8,000 years. This is literally an inscription they found on a church door in Germany. You can get 8,000 years off purgatory if you contribute financially to this thing and receive an indulgence. Wow. You could really work pretty hard on those purgatory years you now. You can. So you get those kinds of things um, that really, again, yeah, like, what does that have to do with Scripture? And I'm like, <laughs> no, that's really a controlling mechanism. Yeah. And now modern Catholics would be quick to confess that. They'd be like, sure. oh, yeah, like, there were lots of abuses of that. But my problem is, is that if you're willing to acknowledge indulgences were abused or, like, all these traditions were mishandled, the problem at the root of that is you have these two separate categories of authority. So, like, your sacred tradition speaks with equal or sometimes greater authority than Scripture. Mm. So you create all these issues for yeah. yourself that you just you can't get around. So you have that problem. So then you have the pendulum swing, as we've talked about, where it's like, you know, you get radical folks who are like, well, no traditions. You know what I mean? Like, we're, we're not going to do that. And it's like, well, no, like, you're, you're going to have them. Like, there are going to be things you're going to do yeah. week in and week out that are going to have an effect on your life, church, etc., so to summarize all this, get us back off the rabbit trail there that I'm prone to go down. <laughs> Not all traditions are inherently dead or wrong, but all traditions must ultimately be evaluated by the scriptures. That's the point. Mm-hmm. Fun fact. Martin Luther's 95 Theses, yes. famous document that launched the Reformation. Oh, yes. Martin Luther's big theological emphasis throughout his ministry was justification by faith, right? Like, we're made right with God by faith. Mm-hmm. That's it. And so everyone, I think, we just generally assume, oh, that was probably at the heart of his 95 Theses. Doesn't show up once. <laughs> not once. His 95 Theses had a ton to do with the abuse of indulgences. Yeah, because it's not, it wasn't very, it wasn't a very big, rebellious, anti-Catholic movement. That no. It like sounds very punk rock to, to view it as. Yeah. It was not No, that. it was, as I think we've talked about in episodes on this. Yeah. It was a normal thing for priests and professors to do is to take theses and nail them to a university or church door and just debate them. Yeah. And Luther's goal was not, again, to even get out of Roman Catholicism. He was like, hey, we need to reform our teaching on this and our tradition based on scripture, which is the point here, right? He's saying like, hey, traditions aren't bad, but they have to conform to what God has said. And our practice of indulgences does not in any way match that. Right. So when we're dealing with traditions in the sense that Paul is talking about, for example, in this passage in 2 Thessalonians, what we're actually talking about is the word of God simply handed down faithfully from one generation and person to another, whether it is spoken or written. And if that handing down of the faith takes the form of a lectionary with set readings or observation of the church calendar or through a certain order of worship, as long as that tradition, so to speak, is subservient to scripture, it can be a faithful tradition. It can be helpful to the cause of handing that down. And I think on a side note, one thing that is helpful if you do that, the church that I worship at when I'm down in Florida for my classes, they do this. They will explain elements of their worship service that they do every week. But really? they'll take just a minute or two to say, and remember, here's why we do this. Yeah. So that it doesn't become just, a, oh, we just do it because yeah. that's just what we've done. It's like, no, no, no. Here's why we do this and why it's important that we do it every week. I think people would be inclined to, to think that, oh, oh, that's for the new people. But actually, yeah. it's very much not. It's, no. It is for us that we may remember. Yeah, I would even actually say it could 
could be especially for the person who's prone to be like, exactly. Oh yeah, I just do this every week. Yeah, <laughs> like of course. Like well, you remember why? And of course, there is one tradition that all Orthodox evangelicals keep very faithfully, even if they get heebie-jeebies about the word traditions. <laughs> and that is because every week without fail, those kinds of churches sit under the preaching of Scripture mm. and the singing and praying of Scripture. So again, ultimately, I think at the end of the day, it's not a question of if we have traditions. It's rather a question of, are they in alignment with God's Word? Mm. And can we explain them in a way that makes sense of that? Yeah. So yeah, there she be. Wow. You know? Maybe you have a tradition of listening to this podcast every week, you know? We Hopefully you do it because it's helpful. <laughs> <laughs> and if it is, thank you for listening. If you want to leave us an honest five-star review, mm. at Apple Podcast platform. You only have to do it once. It does not even have to be a tradition. No, that can be a one-time plenary indulgence. <laughs> See there? And you can receive the benefit of knowing that you've satisfied our request and ignoring it from here on out. Yeah, it's just a warm feeling, which is what... It's just a warm feeling. What you've <laughs> Uh, and as always, if you have questions about this or any other topic, you can email us at podcast at horizonschurch.net. So thank you again for listening, and we will catch you next time.